Section six of Through Broadland in a Braden Punt by John Nolittle, a pseudonym of the writer and naturalist Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapters eleven and twelve. Chapter eleven A Broadland Gossip. Sometimes we'd have that whole river to ourselves. Yonder was the banks and the islands across the water, and maybe a spark, which was a candle in a cabin window, and sometimes on the water you could see a spark or two, on a raft or scow, you know, and maybe you could hear a fiddle or a song coming over from one of those crafts. From Huckleberry Finn at the moment of starting this chapter, I am sitting at the base of the haystack, where I sat yesterday, under the eye of the white house on Howe Hill, Ludham. The old boat is napping for an hour, in a cut beside a smarter, more aristocratic pleasure boat. They don't speak, for, of course, they are strangers unlike the owners. I am feeling altogether better than yesterday. Of that in a moment. The weather was baking hot on Sunday, stewing hot yesterday, broiling today. I am all three myself, but a gentle zephyr steals down from between the old willows and the stack touching me kindlily in its playfulness. Yesterday I felt too giddy in the upper story to scribble at all, although I rigged up a shade, but gave it up. I had lost my favourite pen, and had tied a nib to a stick, but there was no inspiration in it. But I've got the runaway in my hand this sweet morning, on Sunday night, I pegged down at the bank, a score yards from Ludden Bridge, the Yarwhelp seeing some company, and I, myself, a prospect of sociability. Two yachts and a gorgeous wherry were our neighbours, and all proved friendly. The new bridge, at a distance, looks like a large water tank elevated, it is better for ordinary men, but the artist becomes appalled at the sight of it. Walter Rye didn't put the barge of dynamite under the low arch, after all. They took it down. The plainness and the newness might be improved away by the county council planting a bit of ivy or ampelopsis, which are in love with bricks and mortar, as well as attracted by decay. After a refreshing repast on board a pleasure wherry with some old friends abroading, and adding to my stores of provender, I sail up again, and pointed the Yarwhelp's sharp prow for the upper waters of the Ant. How the river twists about, quite as much as a mattress spring when pulled out a bit does. The flora of this river is very pretty. 
here lies a patch of ovate-leaved amphibious persicaria holding up its pink drumsticks for one to admire there a clump of ascetic-looking arrowheads and there a fringe of sprawling water-lilies we crawl past an ancient wherry hull laden with coal i expect for the dredger i wish her bow was pointed towards south town the craft like an oft-mended boot is picturesque having been well sold patched and repaired as a snob's bill declareth each time i stop to scribble a note the yarwhelp sticks her inquisitive nose in the rushes what's up have i overloaded the forepeak is it a trick of the breeze boating folk have to find out these things which look like idiosyncrasies a poor nautical word my punt is also a dab hand at carrying home mushrooms when the skipper is lucky enough to find any i stay a moment to draw a pen picture a broken bank greened above with nettles against which some tall thistles raise their glorious yellow flowers below a nodding thistle with purple caps then some persicaria with one small clump of blooming water lilies resting upon the translucent waters sleek kine lazily browsing characteristic marsh pump mills the centres of many a swallow's flight odd fishermen delighted with small catchers bend after bend now the oars going now the wind giving a hustle but failing me when most needed how scant the bird life three linnets tripped over and i saw one carrion crow i caught sight of this black ishmael first broadside then got a back view the set of his wings peculiarly aeroplaney as so well depicted by joseph wolfe and sometimes caught by artists who draw after battle scenes my bohemian method of seeing broadland i think is not a bad one sitting low i miss some things but i'm as free as a bird to roost where i choose i can cook when i like or not cook although there are disadvantages in that respect you cannot check a wherry or a yacht like a punt with a stroke of the oar besides they despise the day of small things fine clump of reeds topped with nodding plumes how different these to the waveney's bald pates the day makes one terribly thirsty i do not wonder that bottles are in such great demand on the broads a moment since i observed a montague's harrier passing overhead in a plane-like flight high in air i landed on a seductive bank and a treacherous it was loaded with wild flowers hemp agrimony 
thistles, meadowsweet, and others. Over these tripped bright tortoiseshell butterflies, small coppers, little dancing fairies, hovering syrophus, pretty imitations of the wasps. Where have the common wasps got to this autumn? And came there also small garden whites, fritillaries, and what not. Handsome peacocks lit on the agrimony, now black as sweeps, as they closed their wings, as if to protect their rich jackets, now sharply snapping them open, to exhibit the glorious tints that fairies had painted on them. One lingers at such a spot, forgetting mundane matters. What little flirts the insects are, tripping, toying, pirouetting around each other, a butterfly existence indeed, but a pure, clean life they lead. I admit some evil things are beautiful, for my footing on this tricky bit of bank is insecure. I soon jump off it into the Yarwhelp's well. The perfect fly is beautiful and harmless, but I admit it breeds a crowd of pirate grubs for garden thieves. I find that to be a real naturalist, one wants to add botany, entomology, arachnology, and five or six more ologies to that of ichthyology and ornithology. To expect this, providence ought to have trebled the length of man's life. Yon is the White House, duplicating itself in the liquid reflector below it. I spoke to a town-bred Broadman. What a paradise is Broadland to live in, I said. What about the winter? He made comment. It seems that a man must be to the manner born. Did you ever read Lubbock's Fauna? Then just find the pages about his typical Broadman, who never went above six miles away from his occupation. Yes, once, he did a mighty deed. He took his children to a fair six miles away to expand their minds by travel and to see what the outer world was like. I dare say the monotony, the loss of social habits and non-access to things that brighten town life pall on an imported broad-dweller. My head feels frizzled up with the heat, and notwithstanding my broad-brim hat, my neck feels sun-bitten. Indeed, I thought I might have a touch of it. I felt dazed somewhat, fogged unduly, non-concentrative. Dropping in at Wollstone's, the handyman gamekeeper and what-not of the house, his kindly wife bathed my nape with tepid milk. That and a civilised dinner, a gossip and a rest bucked me up a bit, and before I started again, I let the sun lower a bit and rested in a haystack shade. Hello, what funny sort of bagpiping is this? Almost at once I saw the musicians were whopping bumblebees, 
on whose nest I was sitting, with just a space for them to come in and out at. I sat still, and their fussing somewhat subsided, they letting me still sit on my good behaviour. I like Wollstone, a fine old fellow, a broadland patriarch with flowing white beard and a superior manner. His mouth opened guardedly to gossip between the sporran of hair upon his face and chin. He told pike stories neatly, without brag or flourishes, scorning to be thought untruthful. He saw a long sort of fish below the surface, and fishing it up, found it was a pike with a smaller pike half swallowed. A pike once jumped plump into his boat as he rowed. Why? Because it had overshot its goal. A roach it was it had rushed at. He had seen a queer sight in the water, and found it was a small pike with a live snake between its jaws, held by the middle. He once found a pike choked by a perch, and he'd taken a weasel out of a pike. I had stealthily to book these as he spake them, but he liked telling me these things because most natives are so sceptical. Here is a man who, like myself, never makes a record he is not sure of. I looked at that strong bearded face again. It reminded me of Aaron's beard, depicted in my stepmother's old Bible. He talked most interestingly of hares and their ways and habits, and to my mind his findings are at variance with the scribblings of some writers on this animal. I give preference to certain observations of Wollstone's on the overlappings of consecutive progeny and one or two other much debated matters of Lepusian biology. With some dry humour and a twinkle in his eye, he told me one good Broadland story. I will give it in the Norfolk dialect. A yokel went to a doctor. Hello, said the medico. You seem in rather a bad way. Ah, boar, I do, sir. My innards fair off colour. I fare as if I can't do nothing. Well, went on the doctor, you're a bit run down with indigestion. You must not smoke, nor drink, nor eat pastry, and so on. You must eat nothing but slops. God's truth, said the poor fellow, who had flinched a little at the first restrictions. How can I afford it? This here, touching his jumper, is the only slop I've got in the world. I am anxious to be on the move again. And now for Potter Ham. Chapter 12 In Broadland Doldrums Where darkness found him, he lay glad at night. There the red morning touched him with its light. 
go where he will the wise man is at home his hearth the earth his hall the azure dome where his clear spirit leads him there's his road by god's own light illumined and foreshowed by emerson at six p m monday when the day had grown a trifle cooler i pushed the little punt out into the stream again gathered up the reins and away we ambled bidding the civil enough bumblebees good-bye and shaking off the dust from my sandals at the rascally mosquitoes which had been boring my skin and slightly boring me also and when i came to think of it that it is only the lady mosquitoes and not the gentlemen that are such terrors to bite and persecute one i thought them almost a parody upon our own species of course this thought was very unkind but i've had considerable experience in my daily avocation the male insect feeds on the juices of plants and is a simple vegetarian his spouse is a bloodophagist popping in her boring implement she pumps up a wee drop of our vital fluid leaving an unpleasant venom as payment in the saliva from her borer don't take my word alone for it i gained information partly from others i would not make mention of this little pest but for the fact that many of the broad sides teem with them i've had them come around me in crowds a shoal at a time fastening upon me of course wary old yacht folk more at night against some reedless weedless bare bit of wall or rond the unwary hugged the reeds and sedges just where the little beggars resort i think i myself would sooner be swarmed with wasps for they hardly take you unawares and their sting may be quickly neutralized by a plaster of wet salt a bit of soda dissolved in a wine glass of vinegar gives immediate relief when no pain or swelling follows but why is it that not one solitary wasp has come to me since june my head remained so curious with the heat of the day that i could only recover my ink-potting with a force of will i didn't suspect i possessed but the output was poor and had to be done all over again but the lily-pads came to my rescue i pulled out two leaves placed them wet under a towel on top of my head and experienced relief uneasy lies the head that's crowned but why should not the worries of a king be eased in this simple fashion why don't kings come to the broads and try it i was determined to reach stalham by nightfall passing through Ersted, i was delighted with a picture made by a wherry entering the tree-shaded river leisurely a beautiful picture 
reminding me of Charles Harrison's exquisite creation, Worries at Coltershall, a reproduction of which is in the Life of Harrison, now in the libraries and out of print. Barton Broad opened to view, with its piled stumps like broken teeth, guarding the channels, a broad, magnificent stretch of water, equal, if not superior, to Roxham, open to every breeze. But before I had crawled across it, the Yarwhelp looked like a browsing hare in a carrot patch. Mrs. Wiggs's cabbage patch was not in it. As I write this last line, a couple of winged reddish insects have fallen from a willow tree into the angle of my half-open notebook. They are fighting hammer and tongs. Under my lens, it looks a fight of miniature tigers. They may be, I think they are, ants of some sort, winged ones. On touching my finger, both became startled, separated, and flew away. Below the platform, fish are rising in every direction. But the Barton weeds, they cloyed my oar blades, they caught in the boughs, dead lily leaves, sedges, and what not, a queer place for fishermen to cast angle, as some did, only to have their baits held up. It was, just then, a seemingly hopeless wilderness of vegetable abominations. But my opinions became reversed in the morning, when the wind, or some more mysterious forces of nature, had driven the weed to the sides, and to my surprise, lusty marshmen were hauling it out and piling it on the shore with long-handled, four-pronged forks. Jolly heartbreaking work, said I to the evident boss of the team. Jolly dry work, said he. And the lines of Coleridge came to mind again. Water, water everywhere, etc. By the time I reached the entrance to Stalham Dyke, I had become fairly well fatigued, and on the dyke itself, I made woeful progress. I had fairly got into the doldrums, and expected almost to see the pitch bubbling in the old craft's seams. It was a case of a painted ship upon a painted ocean. The miles seemed unending, or was it my laggard arms not up to the task? There is no fool, they say, like an old one, and I must have been he. Every two miles seemed two hundred. At last, in a sort of despair, I drew to a swampy bit of level, stuck in my little stakes, and commenced to build up in the gloaming a tent in a very wilderness of weeds and water. Slap, 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 came upstream the music from a small boat with an out-motor on the stern. I have always insisted that these machines lacked music, let alone poetry, 
but i was converted from the error of my ways or nearly for my coming friends might refuse a salvage job would they please give a poor old derelict a tow the answer was in the affirmative and i silently blessed the lifeboat and its crew the speed we went at seemed moderately rapid but the yarwhelp disillusioned this opinion in the morning when i got a draught of wind behind me five miles an hour i believe was our progress that little procession that tiny pageant was pathetic two good samaritans ahead a panting forlorn variegated skipper behind with arms akimbo lolling in full enjoyment of a rest i was not sorry for the shoal of mosquitoes that smothered my craft examining every stick and cord of it and me was the top sawyer lot i ever met with i staked down in a stalum dyke end and turned in as early as i could for what proved to be a moderately good nap next morning i fell across a venerable gent in a fezzy kind of nightcap garnished with luxurious braidings and a tassel standing at the door of his tackle shop come in my old friend was the pressing invite of alma nichols sage fishing expert giver of good advice to those who patronized his fishing gear emporium and these did not seem a scanty following with a bottle of lime juice in one hand candles in my trousers pocket for i've left my brass lamp somewhere on the bank a lump of shop cake in the bosom of my cardigan i was ushered into his sanctum to an early breakfast and an angler's confabulation with all this raffle of goods about me i would not have met mrs nolittle for a shilling i can assure you but yacht folk smarter than i do queer shopping in the villages and enjoy it it is part of the game but what an alteration in the morning the stalum dyke no longer steamed in the moonlight and the morning sun beautified the interminable lines of reeds and rushes and i had a fair wind astern of me pure white water lilies were holding up their faces to be kissed by the sun like freshly attired clean-faced children looking for a mother's loving kiss just as my bonny grandkiddies hang on to their dear grandma's lips and would too no doubt on grandad's but for grandfather's hairy whiskers how short the run to barton broad seemed to me wind freshening and the furlongs slide by like the telegraph poles past the railway carriage slipped under a tree at hurstead and made a frugal dinner but it was as hot there as in the open so i popped the unwashed plates into the lockers and up went the bitter rag again i had lightened the ballast by eating from the paper bag from stalham 
I must hurry on, and quote from my notes. River downwards now winds continuously, like a mattress spring pulled out of its spirals. The higher peaked yacht sails catch the wind above the reeds and rushes, whilst my poor wing flaps feebly. Reached Whitehouse Stathe without further incident. Reached Ludden Bridge and took up my last Sunday night's quarters. Tired again, but it must be this appalling heat. I laid my thermometer outside on the deck. At 6.45 it had lowered to 75 degrees. By 7.40 it had gone down to 70 degrees and there stuck. I rigged up the awning early, and after tea I went to roost, at eight o'clock to be correct, and slept well until five-thirty in the morning. In patches, a slight roger jarred my ship on one occasion, but her moorings held. Perhaps a yacht would have scorned it. Water voles were out of progging, around about all the night. I pegged down a small bream a boy angler gave me, skewering it to the bank. In the morning, nothing but the stick remained. Water voles will eat dead fishes, which is not proof that they can catch live ones. I'm sure they cannot in a fair hunt. Hard by the peg were some broken fragments of a swan mussel, no doubt left there by the water voles. End of section 6